I'm your host, Rabbi Linda Schreiner Khan, and welcome to Tehillah Talks, where teens engage in honest conversation with their rabbi about what it means to be Jewish in the world today. Welcome to the 15th edition of Tehillah Talks. This month we're talking about Ve'ahavta Lerecha Kamocha, Love Your Neighbor as Yourself, and uh, Hillel's quote, If I'm not for myself, who will be for me? And if I'm only for myself, what am I? And if not, now when? We're getting ready for Thanksgiving. And uh, welcome to Julian, Bernie, and Helena. In that order. <laughs> <laughs> and recently, uh, Julian was asking about who's listening. Well, we, we have, it's clear that we have listeners and we have listeners around the world. Which yeah, is, that's pretty cool. Which is sort of amazing that we have listeners in South Africa and wow. in South America. Colombia, yeah. Whoever's listening in Colombia, thank you. Uh, <laughs> to everyone who's listening. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, so so it's kind of exciting to realize that people are actually beginning to listen to our podcast. I sent you uh, two quotes. You remember what they were? Um, be nice to thy neighbor, or something along those lines. <laughs> love, the, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Be'ahavta lerecha kamocha, which is from Leviticus, and then from Ethics of Our Father. It is of our fathers. It's pure chaos vote. I want to say of our ancestors, but it really says fathers. Uh, Hillel says, if I'm not for myself, who am I? If I'm only for myself, what am I? And if not now, when? So I wanted to unpack that first one because in different traditions, it gets reformulated. But in the Jewish tradition, it is, Love your neighbor as yourself. And and the second one, it's if I'm not for myself, who am I? So let's look at the self piece first. What's being asked of us in relation to ourselves? Well, in the, the first quote, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. So we can definitely assume from that that you're trying to... It definitely seems like something where it's saying to treat your neighbor well. So it's implying that you're going to treat yourself well, because as it's implying that you would treat yourself well either way. So, and then the other quote kind of continues that says, if you're not for yourself, if I'm not for myself, then who am I? So if I don't treat myself well, if I don't like myself, then I am not myself. So it's saying something inherent about who we are and how we treat ourselves, both of them. So any Anybody else want to jump on that? I think the second quote is saying that sometimes we do have to prioritize ourselves before we prioritize others, like take care of ourselves before we, I mean, have the ability to take care of others. So having the ability to take care of others, Mm -hmm. right? That's really important. Well, it makes me think, like, if you're not, if you don't care about yourself, you can't really care about others. You know what I mean? Like, you'll, you'll always just be to yourself, like, disposable and never able to, like really have an impact that kind of reminds me of like are you guys have you guys read king lear you know how there's oswald and like oswald just does whatever you know goneril wants like it's like that he's kind of the example of the first one he's not even for himself like he's just blindly you know 
So it seems to me also that we societally think of teenagers as going through a process of getting comfortable in their own skin. I'm obviously way past that moment, but would you say that that's part of the process, your own growth process of being comfortable in your own skin so that you can go forward from that place? Yeah, I think that at this time, I think maybe we don't yet know exactly who we are. We're still forming ourselves, you know, we're still, our minds haven't fully developed. We're still thinking about who we are, what we believe in. And so, I mean, at this point, I think we may have to prioritize ourselves, but still think of... And that doesn't mean that you're selfish. Yeah, no. Yes. And I mean, it depends what situation, too, but like... But it doesn't mean that you're selfish at all. It's the sense of exploration. Bernie? Uh, just when, when you said that, it came into my mind a more like physical example. I'm um, running track uh, this winter, and it, I get like pains, like groin pains, shin splints, stuff like that. And it's, yeah, I mean, it, other people get it, but I think a lot of the, the older kids have kind of, like, stopped growing, and that just physically, like, stopped growing. And I think that's a, a huge part, because, like, I've grown maybe six six inches in the last year. So, like, that must be nice, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I'm also, like, my running is kind of erratic. Like, I can, I've been improving a lot as I'm getting taller, and I'm, like, just my groin is slowing down and stuff, so that's just a more physical example of like I'm literally changing, and you know I have to figure out how to adapt my body to that. Mm-hmm. That's funny because I'm I'm nominally still on track, but I used to I used to be on my school's cross country and track teams, and like that was one of the things that, or that was like a big part of the experience was like being for the group. Like you don't really you know it's cross country whatever who cares, but like it was a very like it is a very intense like team environment and. You know, being a part of that was kind of like, you know, especially as a freshman or whatever, was like a learning experience, I guess, of like, like how putting the putting everybody's interests ahead of your own can push you farther. But at the same time, you have to keep your own sense of self, self. and what you're, yeah. what, what you're yeah. capable of doing. You, you, you know, don't, don't want to hurt yourself. Yeah. Like having trying that, to help yeah. your teammates in a competition or something. Yeah. You kind of need that group think to like to really like perform well as a team like you kind of all have to be invested into the collective but yeah there is that danger of like losing your your what your own interest you know what i mean because a lot of people get injured and stuff it's it's interesting that this uh the quote via hafta lewecha kamocha is considered the second most important quote or line from the torah uh, to the shema really yeah Is that the first quote? Yes, the Shema. What? But that's an interesting question, too. I think it's a rabbinic. It's a rabbinic thing, Mm -hmm. right? But it strikes me that, you know, we're living in a world where a lot of people think about themselves first or don't necessarily like what they see in the mirror and that motivates the way in which they behave toward others. So taking that to that next step of, of neighbors, what does that mean? If I don't like myself, how am I going to treat my neighbors is the first question. Also, sorry. Also, like, what is a neighbor? What is, does that mean your friend? Does that mean someone who is close to you? Or does that mean just anyone, you know? Yeah, because there's definitely plenty of neighbors that you might not like. Just physically, like, who moves in next door? Yeah. You don't really have a say in that, usually. Well, 
I feel like, and also being nice to everybody may not be the most genuine slash like right thing to do. You know what I mean? Like you can love your neighbor and they might still annoy them. Annoy you. Right, but, but there's there's the story that just came out uh, yesterday. I think I just saw it today. Of it happened in London. There's a family on the on the underground, and a man is reading from an anti-Semitic Bible, and there's a little boy with a kippah, with a yarmulke on his head, and the man is trying to interact with this boy, and the father is saying, "Just ignore him." And it's and clearly everybody sees it. And it's a woman wearing a hijab who goes over and intervenes. And to me, she is loving her neighbor as herself in this act, in this very protective act for this child. And it was reported that she has two children of her own and she would want somebody else to do this same thing. I, I feel like, like, on a related note, I feel like also when you love somebody, like, you can, you know, like somebody, da, da, but when you really love somebody, it's also, like, coming to terms with their flaws as well. Like, that's kind of something that, in the neighbor context, makes a lot of sense because, you know, you could like Fran, your neighbor, but when she, like, blows her leaves onto your lawn, like, you're going to get mad at her. But if you really love Fran, like, you're going to, you're going to, like, kind of understand her flaws and be able to, like, work past So part of it also is if loving yourself is understanding that you're not perfect. Yeah, yeah. Maybe even using your neighbors and seeing your neighbors' flaws as like a mirror to understand yourself better. Right? Yeah. Taking it like a step further. Yeah. Right. Who, who of us is perfect? I mean, I had an aha moment recently that uh, my mother was an awesome woman, but she was quick to flare up and very exacting in the way that she did things. There was a right way and a wrong way. Very German. Uh, <laughs> and and I realized that I'm a little tired at the moment and I'm more likely to flare like my mother. And that was sort of a... So part of that was owning that part of who I am, that flaring, the ability to flare up. Yeah. It's not good. It's not bad. It just is. Mm-hmm. But owning those things of that make us who we are uniquely ourselves and clearly, it's related to the people we come from or who raised us, right? Yeah. One of the things that this makes me think about is, like, I was reading a little bit about about Freud and his, like, theories about childhood development. And, like, what I learned was that when you, the baby, like, a baby starts to develop its sense of self only by, like, observing the facial expressions or the or the reactions of, of the parent. Because that's when they realize, like, the, oh, the parent's reacting to me. I must be something. You know, I must exist. And that's kind of the first like step in uh, in a human psychological development is watch is watching the interface with somebody else. You don't you don't have your sense of self. You get it from you get it from other people interaction. Yeah. yeah. So that obviously like the sort of nurture element is very important. Like, but it's also you know I look at the three of you and I know that you are blessed with loving families. I mean this. Yeah, for sure. Unequivocally, this is this is the case. Your parents all truly care about you. And that gives you uh, an incredible grounding to go forward. Yeah. And the, the challenge is that of our neighbors, that's not always true of them. Right. Right. The, the grounding is very different, but can be. Not, but yet, this, we just had this program uh, for Thanksgiving, and uh, Marty Michael was talking about the work that she's doing down at the border. And... And I was just reading about this again, about its parents making this trip 
uh, with very young children to give them another to give them a chance for a future, mm-hmm. uh, laying everything on the line for their children. So they love themselves, but they love their children even more. But it's coming from this strong core of of love, which is which you mentioned before. If you don't have that. Yeah, what are you? Gonna what do? are you? Who are you? Right. Um, which goes to the next part of the other quote is, uh, you know, if I'm only for myself, what am I? Right. But going on to what are we doing for other people? Why can't we just stop by saying, hey, I'm cool with myself. You know, I like myself. I'm going in the right direction and I'm just going to leave it at that. Why does that? Why do we need that second part about uh, being in the world? Why does that matter? Why is that part of our tradition? Yeah. Can I just give a personal, like, something that this makes me think of? Like, I'm I'm involved in running, like, a couple clubs at my school, and one of them is, like, a pretty frustrating experience because I'm the secretary. All right, I hope nobody from my school is listening to this because I'm going to annoy people. But, like, I basically, I really want the club to be successful, but I also have, like, high standards for what that looks like. And the people who are, like, the president or vice president or whatever, like, aren't really doing any planning. And it, I think this week I've kind of come to terms with, with that, basically, that, like, I can't fix it. I kind of have to just be like, all right, this is, you know, I'm going to do what I can, but I've... When yeah. to let it go? Yeah, when to let it go. Like, you don't always have to, you know, sometimes you can be flawed. Like, sometimes you don't have to be perfect, you know? Is that saying, is this about being perfect? Or is it about it, something... It me, I feel like it's not so much about being perfect, but it's about, like, the... You know, being in the world and kind of, I don't know. when it, it, It's it, a balance. It's a balance. Like, you there's a balance it. between, you know, loving yourself and and being able to love others and also, like, being being for yourself but also wanting to help others. You know what I mean? Like that? You know what I mean? You don't want to completely sacrifice yourself for others. Yeah, exactly. But you do want to be helpful when you can. Yeah, that's sort of what I'm kind of dealing with. But if you don't, if you don't like yourself... What, who do we have in front of us of people who don't really like themselves? I mean, in, the, in our world, we can point to various public figures mm-hmm. who ultimately, I, I think, don't necessarily really like themselves if we strip away all the, all the various layers. I feel like it's a continual process. Like, you can love yourself one day and then you can be back to square zero, like, kind of mad at yourself the next. You know what I mean? I don't think there's people who... I think you can try to live by these these... Uh, sayings, but it's really continual effort. You know, I think finding that balance is kind of what you do. It's living in a way. You know what I mean by that? So why do you think this is in our religious tradition? I think it's kind of something... It's good psychology or what? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like a universal thing. I think it's something everybody's struggling with all the time, basically. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're we're always struggling to, like, accept ourselves. We're always struggling to... Do you really think everybody is that introspective? It's even if you're not thinking about it, yeah. What do you think, Bernie? Is everybody that introspective? I don't know. I mean, I I agree in that I see it as something that people would want to hear. A lot of people would struggle with and would want to hear and would find comfort in in religion and hearing that in the context of religion. I I don't think everyone is necessarily thinking about how thinking about that balance. I think some people are out of balance almost permanently, you know, which causes problems. But I think you know, the majority of people really do try to try to do their best. What do you think, Kalina? Well, I think it brings up the question that, like, if we don't care for ourselves, 
should we expect other people to care for ourselves? We care for us. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Right. If I don't, if I don't think I matter, if I think I'm just garbage, then why would anybody care about me if my self-esteem is so low? And we did this exercise. This is, as I said, this is on my mind right now. Uh, we did this exercise at Hebrew school, and I asked the kids to write 10 things about their essential selves that they like, mm-hmm. essential qualities. And for some, it was really easy. And for others, it was a more complex endeavor. And uh, I think if we don't have a core of a sense of self, it means that, you know, things are a little rocky. And I, I mean, I know when I was a kid growing up, there were moments that were rocky. Yeah. So it is a process. Yeah. That's what I mean. I don't think it's nec- when I say like everybody's struggling with it. I don't think they're necessarily thinking like, oh, am I loving myself today? You know, am I loving myself? Tomorrow? I think it's more just like even if you don't address it, it's still a balance that it's but, still something that you are that, always. It, here's the other part of the question that I have, though, is are you taught? Is that something that. In, the, in your educational environments, anybody has ever said to you that you have innate gifts. You have innate gifts that are yours and build on those gifts to make you the best you you can be. Is that something that you've heard, aside from your parents, leaving parents to the side? I'm just saying educationally. I'm really curious. Yes and no. Okay. I mean, for me, being dyslexic and stuff like that, like, I kind of... Well, I feel like I feel like it's sort of a hypocrisy. On some level, I feel like as as Americans, like we always try to tell our kids like you're special no matter how well you score in the test or how well you do this sport, like you're special no matter what. No matter you don't have to be a millionaire, you don't have to be whatever, like you're good. I feel like we do we do try to emphasize that and that's something that I've felt like my teachers have always told me like no matter what, you know, you can be happy with yourself, but at the same time, we quantify everything. Like, from the youngest age, like, we're, we force our kids to, you know, to take tests and be that number. And I think we, we introduced that logic very soon that merit is kind of the most important thing. Like, your your performance is basically it. Like, that's something that I feel like is, is very heavily, in, like, you know. And it has a, it, I feel like it has a pretty profound psychological effect on students. Because if you do, say you're somebody who doesn't do the best on tests like you don't you're more visual learner whatever the case is like there's a million possibilities and you don't do too well on your standardized tests you start getting that message that wow i'm i'm average or i'm below average and the truth is you're really above average in a different way you know so i kind of didn't like that or i still think that's pretty mean yeah i think that's one of the largest problems with our educational system is that we're kind of forced to be like, we're forced to do everything, and I think it's definitely good to try everything, and it's definitely not good to only do the things you like and the good things that you're good at, because then you'll never uh, experience failure or whatever you want to say, right? But I think something that schools get wrong is that they don't give enough chance, like, enough time for students to explore what they want to do and what they're good at. So they, you know, feel like they have to be good at everything, and they can't focus on one thing, which is it's not always a bad thing to just focus on one thing. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that on one hand, we all get, like, grades. We all get numbers. Some schools have GPAs. So we all have sort of, we know there's, like, 
a number or a grade, a letter associated with ourselves. But then on the other hand, we know that like at a young age we're like, I don't know, maybe like a classroom full of kids is told that they're all, they all have the opportunity to individually be special, but also like they all, I don't know how to say, they all can like succeed together, you know? So um, let me ask the question one more way and then I know you want to see me, Julia. I think failure is really important. I think failing at something is one of the most important things that can ever happen to you. Because if you can get up from failure, uh, you know you can get up. If you're never allowed to fail, you have no idea that you can get up. I know you, with your dyslexia, that was definitely an obstacle. Yeah. Right? I, f- I feel like... Um on some level, I, I really do believe, I mean, this is in our religious text as well, like every human life is invaluable and unique, etc. But at the same time, like, I feel like the reality of the world is kind of different that at the end of the day, like you're going to be, you're going to be quantified and you're going to be sorted and you're going to be etc, etc. And you can be, you can be special and still get treated badly. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's kind of two currents here. There's one where where every every human is unique and deserving, and then there's the reality of life, where like if you don't perform so well and you don't have the connections or whatever they, or the luck, you might turn out with the with the worst life. And if you if you perform better at certain things, you end up better off. So I feel like the, those kind of things contradict each other. It's like the the disparities in our constitution when it was written, slavery was still around, and uh, you know. The founding what fathers were saying the all men are created equal. Mm-hmm. It's it was men, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was <laughs> land owning men at that, right, yeah, right. yeah. It that didn't include anyone else. It really, you know, I, that made me think of that. Yeah. It had a certain elitist quality to it. But this idea of failure, I mean, the movie Incre- The Incredibles, right? Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons he wrote he person who wrote it wrote it was because everybody was seen as being, you know, getting awards for everything. That was his response. To um, no, everybody shouldn't be get getting medals. If you're in that baseball league when you're a little kid, okay. But as you get older, why is everybody getting a medal? Uh, some people are better at that than others, and they should know that they're better at that than somebody else. Yeah, I feel like to me this really ties into something that I've come to learn through high school. Like the, the the things we're doing in life, they're always really hard. <laughs> like they're always a pain, and that kind of is something that like I now use to like guide me. Like if I'm doing something, I'm like, wow, it'd be really cool if I could achieve this, but it's gonna be a lot of work. I'm like, okay, that's probably the better, like that's probably the path I should go along versus something that might be easier but like less less desirable. You know what I mean? And. I think it, that kind of comes with like the adversity. Like you have to start getting acclimated to failure, to to the kind of pain involved in achieving things. Or, or even let's say not failure, but blockades. Yeah, for me it was like I couldn't read anything, <laughs> and I had to figure. I had to like over time. I got better at getting around that. Not only just reading, but like remembering things, visualizing things. Like a lot of what I would do is like I couldn't. I couldn't read a book about fighter pilots I would just I would like imagine all the airplanes and stuff and be like that was what I got really good at was like imagining that stuff and that ended up having applications later in my life but without first not being able to ha- not being able to read I wouldn't have bothered I just read the book and got on board and moved on with my life you know so obstacles obstacles help mm-hmm. 
So what is this this thing of, of the Hillel piece, which is not now when? That sense of urgency. Why is there a sense of urgency? I mean, we're talking about for, for us, for you in particular, given where you are in your lives, there's, there's this urgency of action. And why? Why can't I let somebody else do it? I mean, I get the point that kind of like, if you don't act, it's going to get worse. Like, you're never going to. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of the time, it's better to not do anything than to do something hasty. You know what I mean? Like, I think... Do you guys agree or, you know? Sometimes, like, I feel like sometimes my initial reaction to things is, like, always the wrong reaction. Well, that's what I was saying before with my mother. My mother was, was quick to respond. And and upon reflection, my immediate response might not be the best one. Mm-hmm. And I need to take a moment and yeah. sit with it. Sit with it. But that doesn't mean that I don't act. One piece doesn't negate the other, right? It's still... So acting, the Hillel says, if not, now when? So we could say, when I've had a few minutes to digest the situation, <laughs> uh, then I'm going to figure out how I can be in the world and treat my neighbor as myself so I can make a difference. Does it mean that we have to do everything? <laughs> you stumped us. <laughs> I, mean, that, I mean, the world is a complex place with many problems. And the truth is, if I thought I could make a difference in all these arenas, A, I'd be, have this vision of myself as being all-powerful, right? Because no way. And definitely not the vision at play. So where can I respond and where can't I respond? How do I respond? I don't know. I mean, to take it back to the clubs thing, I feel like I'm involved in all these things. I'm obviously involved in my synagogue, too. And they're all they're all really meaningful to me. Like, but sometimes it's better to do less and to do something more thought out and effective. Like it's sometimes it's better to achieve more in less arenas than a little bit everywhere. Yeah. You know, you can kind of focus, you can be, be more coherent, be more composed. And that's something that I feel like, you know, maybe I I put a lot on my plate this year in terms of classes, clubs, like my obligations, but that too is a learning experience, you know? Like, I'm, you know... Figuring out what what it takes to create a balance life. And in the future, when I'm like, oh, maybe I should be in an AP biology class, even though I'm bad at, you know, science, I'll be like, no, stop, don't do that. That's (laughs) a bad decision. So, yeah. I think the quote relates to us, like, on a personal level. Like, what can we do to maybe improve ourselves? Not So that we can't do everything in the world. We can't do... We can't change so many things, but if we just look within ourselves, first change ourselves, and then try to do what we can. So if we look at ourselves first with with a strong vision and really see who we are and what our gifts are, once you can identify what you're good at, then the way that you act in the world is more focused. If you don't take the time to do that, have that interior monologue, as it were, or inventory, whatever you want to call it, uh, it is more amorphous. You're just sort of going out and being. But if you take that time and you, you know that, okay, I'm good. You know, I, I think of, of uh, some members of our community who are very good artists. So if you're a really good artist, how do I use that to be out in the world? 
how do I use that as a connective tissue to be with other people? That's a, um, that's a powerful question. Yeah. How, how can I use that to be for myself? How can I do that to help myself? And how can I use that to help others? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then, and then it has focus and cohesion, and it's not draining you. Yeah. <laughs> kind of what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and, and sitting where I sit is complicated because I see, you know, I feel like, well, I'm not doing enough. I'm always telling myself I'm not doing enough because there are all these different things that need doing. You are, but <laughs> we can all agree. Yeah. Yeah. But no, but it's like this this constant yeah. thing mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. you know Thanksgiving is coming up this week, and I I sort of wanted to uh, take a moment and first express my gratitude to three of you no for problem. doing this. Uh, <laughs> no, because for me this is a learning experience. Having these conversations teaches me a great deal, and I'm really grateful for that. I think, and something that we've been discussing local clergy about, I think that first we want to be grateful and sort of parallels the saying, first we need to know what we're grateful for before we can give. Mm-hmm. If, you don't, if you're not feeling grateful, are you capable of giving? So I want to put that out at, 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 to the three of you as well. If you have no gratitude, can you give to others? Gratitude for what others are doing or for yourself? Just, just in your life, in your world. I don't know. I feel like I can be kind of um, ungrateful sometimes. Like, especially, like, I'm going through the college process. My parents are helping me out a lot. But, like, I never really am, like, I don't know. It's hard to constantly be, like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But it's way easier to be, like, we have to do this. Ah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but, that, but that's, but this is, but this is a high pressure situation. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not normative. I feel like for me, <laughs> you do this once in your life if you're lucky. I feel like for me, sometimes I, I step back and I'm like, Oh wait, I am doing a lot of things. Like I am, I am trying to help people or be a good person, but my daily life, I don't really think about that. I'm kind of just, well, that's like, what I'm saying. Thanksgiving, yeah. Thanksgiving's coming. And it's one of those times because of yeah. that, those, the two words hooked together mm-hmm. that it, kind of puts it right in front of our faces. Forget about the turkey, forget about the parade, right? But thanks and giving, how are they intertwined? And are they? Not usually. I mean, we don't usually stop and, you know, uncouple those two words to see what's really going on underneath it. That's what I'm getting at. The actual story of Thanksgiving is so dark. (laughs) So I feel like that's some kind of, that's some kind of, um, I like uh, I, I, I like Molly's Pilgrim, where in that story, she, this kid is an immigrant and she's told to make a pilgrim. You remember this story? It's, it's a as she's told to make she's in the turn of the century. She's a Russian immigrant, Jewish kid, and they're making pilgrims to celebrate Thanksgiving. And uh, she doesn't get what a pilgrim is. And she, and she explains to her mother that it's somebody who comes from another place mm-hmm. and they're supposed to make clothespin figures. Her mother goes, I can do it for you. So her mother does her homework for her mm-hmm. and creates a little babushka figure. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the, the kids all make fun of her, particularly one girl who's a little yeah. bit of bully, makes fun of her, and then the teacher says no and relates it to the holiday of Sukkot, uh, that, that Thanksgiving is a harvest festival and its origins are in Sukkot. And that we are all, amazingly, at this moment, we're all pilgrims in the United States. Uh, we, you know, um, other than the indigenous, ourselves to pilgrims. Well, no, my, my, well, yes, we know. The what, for a bit. Yes, they were. Yeah. yeah, but but the point being that we're not, of the four of us sitting here, none of us uh, 
I don't think none of us can trace ourselves to indigenous American populations, right? I mean, so in some way or another, our families came from other places at various generations, Mm -hmm. some of us more recently than others, Mm -hmm. right? But I'll go back to this uncoupling of thanks and giving. I want uh, just... Well, I think by understanding what we're grateful for, then we can set priorities for what we should give. Like, one comes from the other. But I think that I mean, we can give without knowing exactly what we'll, what we're grateful for. But I mean, I do think one comes from the other. Like one, like being more grateful and understanding what you're grateful for will improve how you give. Yeah, I, I've just been thinking about. I never thought about uncoupling the the thanks and the giving. I thought of it like giving thanks. But if you think about it as two th- separate things, that maybe related or not, it's making me think of, like, it's kind of flipped. Because usually you say, like, you give someone something, right? And they say thanks. But in this case, it's thanks and then giving. So it's saying, like, what are you thankful for? And then, you know, kind of realizing that and thinking about what and why you're thankful for those things and maybe, like, redistributing some of that. How to pay it forward. Yeah. How to pay it forward. Uh, Yeah, so I wanted to to get us to that place of thinking about how we pay it forward, what we do. And everybody does something different. I mean, it's just, you know, for uh, for my family, the big thing about Thanksgiving, my mother worked all of her working life on Thanksgiving Day. It was her busiest work day. So we had Shabbat dinner the night after. Uh, and for them, as immigrants to this country, it was being very grateful to be here. And the way that they expressed that was by inviting other people over to the house. So we had this larger event. Thanks and giving. I, I, I hope you take that, that idea and just, you know, whatever you do on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, I don't like football, so that's... <laughs> I'm not a big football fan. Uh, I know it's... Uh, for some people, it's... You're not thankful for football. <laughs> I, well, I, well, I think it's really dangerous. Really <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, which has emerged more and more. Uh, but, yeah... Thanks and giving. And thank you for listening. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you to our viewers. (laughs) Yes. uh, Our listeners. And yeah. And and just to end on a a piece of Jewish practice, for those who get up every morning, and I don't know what's like for you when you get up, but sometimes I don't know where I am. I don't know what day of the week it is. It takes like this moment before consciousness sets in. And there's a morning prayer, which is Moda Ani. I am grateful. That's the very first prayer that we have in the morning is one of gratitude, just to be alive. So uh, That's I, not the opposite of what I think when I wake up. I'm like, oh, my God, here we go again. <laughs> right, right. But that's right. I'm so, tired. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I have all this work in yeah. front of me. I've got so much to do. Yeah. But before you get to that place to take a deep breath and go, I'm here. So thank you all for being here. And and have a a great Thanksgiving. And thank you all for listening. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Tehillah Talks. For more information about Tehillah, go to congregationtehillah.org. Tune in next time when our teens continue to reflect on issues of the day through a Jewish lens.